Welcome. Good morning. How are we doing? Yeah, how's camp been so far for you guys? I like hearing that. Good. I'm encouraged. So any highlights that you just like want to scream out and say, hey, this is what's been awesome? Paintball. Making friends. I like that. Senior sleeping day, senior sunrise. Good. Hey, let there be light. How about that? It's good. Well, good. I am glad. I think overall, as I'm hearing feedback from the counselors, I'm hearing feedback from you guys, that this has been a rich experience. Uh, And I hope part of that is what God is collectively teaching us through His Word. And I say us because I'm learning a ton too. I'm still walking these things out, and I'm learning how to understand how to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and all of my strength. That is challenging, and it is a thing that we're hopefully going to do for the rest of our lives together, to walk with Him. And hopefully yesterday you heard the life-changing message of the gospel, of what God has done through lepers and centurions in the past, of physically healing men and women, uh, and he's still about doing that today, in rescuing us from our own sin, and that Jesus Christ is the answer to all of those things. So what I want to do with you guys this morning is kind of take the next step in that. If last night was forgiveness part one, this is kind of forgiveness part two, okay? And we're going to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at this idea of, of why do we talk about this? What is this concept of forgiveness, and why does Jesus spend so much time dealing with this issue? I think about for just a second in your families. Do you guys ever have like family meetings where your parents or your mom or your dad or your step parents or whoever that you are kind of in their home call family meetings and say, hey, listen, we need to call a timeout. We all kind of need to get in the room together because something's off, right? Our our dynamic is is wrong and we need to kind of reset expectations. Uh, In my house, that happens often. We have three girls, they all share a bathroom. Okay, ladies, you feeling me? Yes, there's laughing out loud. You get it, right? You're the clean one, aren't you? And you're, maybe not so, okay, that's honest though. I laugh a little bit, right? So I have three girls. Our middle one is like, yeah, clean, totally optional, right? And then I have two like super type A clean freaks. And you can imagine in a bathroom that's shared by three girls, that gets wonky fast. And there's times that we need to sit down and say, okay, listen, we need to reset expectations. We need to recommunicate what's expected. This is the Sladen family. This is how we do things. We clean up after ourselves, right? Towels with mold on them, right? Those need to go into the washing machine. Uh, we, we need to, you know, things of that nature. As you turn now to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is in the midst of a family meeting, okay? He's got his 12 disciples. He's talking not to the crowds anymore, not to the the large mass of people. He's talking to those that understand the gospel, that have been transformed by the work of the the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about this concept this morning of, of really forgiveness, if you don't have that understanding, if you don't understand what it means to say, Lord, the chasm between your holiness and my sin is so epic. It is indescribable. And because of that, I understand the weight that my sin has brought into this world, and you are the only bridge to that gap, your son, Jesus Christ, and you have forgiven so much in that journey for me. If you don't have that understanding, the words that you're about to hear from Jesus are going to seem ludicrous. They are not going to make sense, because this is a family meeting for those that understand the gospel that have responded to it and have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So I I just want to set that kind of as the tone for Matthew chapter 18. And here's what Jesus, in a sense, is going to say. One of the marks of forgiveness, one of the marks of people who are walking in forgiveness, that understand the weight of their own sin and what they have been forgiven from, is they're going to take the vertical 
forgiveness that they receive from the Lord, and they're going to extend it horizontally. Said very simply, forgiven people forgive. This is what Jesus is going to ask of his 12. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 16, Jesus has been talking about restoring a brother that who is in sin. And he's talking to the disciples about this. And he says, hey, if a, if a guy has sinned against you, you need to forgive him. You need to restore him. And Peter, as he's listening to this, you can see the gears kind of turning in his head. And he says, hold on, wait a second. This isn't like some hypothetical dude. What if this guy's sin over here, Jesus, that you're calling me to forgive, what if his sin affects me? What if it's just not something that he's out there doing, but what if that actually causes harm to me or frustration for me? Or what if I just don't like it? What is my response as a follower of you to do in that moment? And he asks a question in chapter 18, verse 21. Read it with me. It says, Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, he asked the question. So, okay, this isn't just some random dude out there sinning and doing whatever and like in a bubble. His sin, Peter's saying, is affecting me. How many times am I called as a follower of yours to forgive this guy's sin? And then he kind of throws out like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Seven. And this is an interesting number if you think about it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, they would have said three. Three is appropriate. Like that's, that's more than enough. And if four, you cut the guy off, you kick him to the curb, and you're like, forget about it. So Peter's like, I'm going to double that, and then I'm going to add one, and Jesus is surely going to be like wickedly impressed with seven, because seven's like a good biblical number. So he says, how about seven? And he's learning something, if you think about it, about who Jesus is, right? Jesus isn't like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's going to go above and beyond what the religious leaders say. And he's heard him teach on the Sermon of the Mount that we should forgive our debts just as we have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus now, or Peter rather, walking with Jesus through the years, you begin to understand that he's learning something as well. But Jesus is actually going to up the ante even further. Look at verse 22. Jesus responds now to Peter and says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. So for you math majors in here, 70 times seven is... 490. I had to do it on my calculator, okay? Uh, Jesus says, Peter, I see your seven, and I'm going to raise you 490. The idea is the number is unimportant. Jesus isn't saying you should forgive a guy 490 times, and then at 491, then you get to kick him to the curb. He's saying you should forgive him an infinite amount, because forgiveness is a way of life for those that are walking with God. Because if you have experienced, again, vertical forgiveness, you will extend in Jesus' world and his kingdom horizontal forgiveness. In fact, that's an indicator to those around you that you properly understand the gospel. If you're able to forgive, it's because it's flowing out of a well of your own personal forgiveness because you understand what God has rescued you from. And as if to kind of pause in this story and say, okay, to the disciples, let me, let, me, let me illustrate this for you. Jesus is now going to share a story. And I, I don't know about you guys. I love stories. I learn through stories. I get these stories. I'm a simple-minded, not brilliant guy. So stories help me to take really complex ideas and make them very, very simple. And in verses 23 through 25, Jesus is going to share a story that basically has one singular point, and that is this. Forgiven people forgive, period. Look at verse 23. Here Jesus now launches into the story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. 
So Matthew here in this story, as he's recounting Jesus' words, introduces now two characters immediately on the stage, and they are meant to be very clearly symbolic of people that we would know in the story. Okay, So if you think about this king, this person in authority, who do you think that would be in the story? Jesus or God. Okay, So you've got this king, this God figure in the story, and he is in a position of absolute authority, and he has slaves, or maybe better, servants, people that are in high-ranking positions that are underneath him. They are submissive to his authority. And you'll notice what the relationship is between this Lord and this servant. It says they are in debt to him, and he is trying to settle accounts. Uh, They owe him something, and we're about to find out what specifically what that is. And he says in verse 24, when he had began now to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, talents is a unit of measurement that we don't use today, right? It's completely foreign to us. And this guy is told, uh, we are told at least, that he owes 10,000 talents. A talent, by the way, was the largest um, quantifier of money that they had back in that day. It's actually not a measure of money, but a measure of worth. It is an astronomical sum of money. One talent was 16 and a half years of labor for a common laborer. If you worked at Starbucks for 16 and a half years pulling shots, you would make one talent in 16 and a half years. This guy owes the Lord 10,000 talents. I did some math for you guys. If you were to extrapolate that, 10,000 talents at kind of a minimum wage job, which is what we're talking about here, that's 164,000 lifetimes worth of income. You would have to live and die 164,000 times, never spend a dime of the money that you made to pay back this debt. Does that make sense to you? This is like a fifth of the U.S. national debt. We're talking about, in today's money, um, $6.24 trillion. Not million, not billion, trillion dollars, right? Uh, It's astronomical. It's unfathomable. I don't know how we would even spend that kind of money. To imagine how this guy got in that sizable debt is crazy. But this is the picture that Jesus is painting. The numbers don't matter so much as saying, he's basically saying, it's insane. It's ludicrous. He owes so much money to his master that he will never, ever, ever in 164,000 lifetimes be able to pay it back. And it's meant to be a picture of our relationship with God. Jesus is using a number that is so absurd to help us understand the gravity of our sin, the weight that it is, the distance that we simply, on our own, cannot make that chasm. So what does the law require regarding this debt? If you owe that kind of money, look now at verse 25. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment be made. So this guy cannot pay off this debt. So the the, the Lord says, listen, uh, I'm going to get back a fraction of it. So I'm going to sell you, sell your wife, sell your kids. And I'm going to take back pennies on the dollar, so to speak, of what you actually owe me. So I'm going to sell him and collect at least what I can. But I want you to notice the servant's response. Look at verse 26. So the slave or the servant fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. That is equally absurd. As if patience is going to help. As if him being lenient and saying, what do you need? You need like a month 
Do you need like two months? Do you need to call some buddies and maybe pull your 50 bucks together? How close are you then to $5 trillion? Are you a little closer? It's absurd. This guy's response is foolish. He clearly does not understand the gravity of the situation. He thinks somehow on his own, he can repay this incalculable debt. And again, this is such a picture of the gospel. It's us in our self-righteousness somehow thinking that we can make up this chasm between us and the Lord in our own merit, in our own works. So, what should this king do? In this moment, when this foolish servant asks now for grace or for mercy or just time, essentially mercy or time to pay back uh, this debt, what should the king do? Well, he should do exactly what he said he was going to do. Sell him, sell his family, take back what he can, and let bygones be bygones, so to speak. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 27. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now, what did the servant ask for? What was the word in the previous verse? What did he say? Please give me patience. He didn't ask for his sin to be forgiven. But the Lord goes above and beyond and gives him what he does not ask for, what he does not deserve, and says, I will just cancel your debt. He released him, in a sense, gave this man his life back. And there are three words in that verse that I so want you not to miss. This Lord is said to have felt compassion for him. In the English, when we hear the word compassion, it's like this feeling in our heart. Mm, it's like a warm, fuzzy in fact, if you're reading out of an ESV or an NIV, it uses the word pity. And that's close, but not quite enough. Pity is actionless compassion. Pity is something that you feel from your heart. That's not what this word means. It literally comes from the word spleen. This man feels a, a pain inside of him. This Lord does. Given the situation that this man is in, his servant, and he's moved as a result of that feeling to do something about it. In fact, it's the same word, compassion, that's used of our Lord and Savior. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed like dispirited sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus sees lost people, this is his feeling towards them. He feels compassion, a compassion that moves him always in the Gospels to action. So he says, I'm going to give you what you can't pay for, what you cannot do, and I'm going to pay it for you. But secondly, do you see the next word? It says, he released him. An essential part of the picture of forgiveness is a releasing. There's something that stems from our heart or our soul from within, and it moves to our hands. And it's a letting go of what we feel like is owed to us. And that third word, it says, he forgave him. He forgave the debt, which literally has the idea of letting go and releasing. I'm going to set that thing free, and I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to hold on to this thing. This is what the king did. He felt a deep sense of compassion for his servant and his condition. He was moved to do what the servant could never do for himself. And instead of holding on to what was owed to him, this king simply absorbed that debt. He took it upon himself. He freed this servant from the bondage that he owed to this man. Friends, this is a picture in so many ways of the gospel that we've been talking about all week long. And I want you to notice the servant the debtor never asks for forgiveness. He never acknowledges the weight of his sin. He never acknowledges in how deep uh, of a situation he had gotten himself in. This gracious Lord forgives him unconditionally, even when he doesn't ask. It tells you a lot about the character of this king. But unfortunately, 
This story does not end with a happy ending. I want you to listen as it continues in verse 28. It says, But the slave now went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. This fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, Please have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he is owed. It's the same situation, but now the servant who's been forgiven is in the position of the Lord. And he is owed something by another slave. Now, a hundred denarii is nothing to sniff at. It's about a hundred days worth of peasant wages. Uh, so maybe a quarter of the year of your income. So he is owed that. That's a pretty significant amount of money. Maybe in terms of comparison's sake, it's about $10,000 worth of debt that this individual would have owed compared to the five-plus trillion dollars worth of debt that this servant was forgiven. Uh, And the patience is the same thing that was asked here now in verse 26. Please have patience with me. I will try now to repay you. And this man who is forgiven in infinite debt by his Lord, horizontal forgiveness, is unable now to extend that same forgiveness horizontally, even though the comparison is minuscule as you compare what he owed to what now this man owes him. Now in verse 31, the word gets back to this Lord, the original king in the story. And it says then in verse 32, summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord now moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father, now Jesus says as he concludes, will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Boy, this is a strong and kind of hard finish to this story. And there's a rhetorical ask, question that's asked here in verse 33. Should you not also have mercy on this person? If you correctly understand what you have been forgiven, your sin that you have been released from, should you not also forgive those around you? The rhetorical question is absolutely yes. Because vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness, according to Jesus, are inseparable. One is a sign of the other. And if you can't extend horizontal forgiveness, it's saying something about your understanding of your forgiveness from the Father. And this is the picture with this slave. He clearly walked away from that situation, not understanding what he had been released from, how much he had been forgiven. So his heart remained hard and calloused, and he would not extend forgiveness to his brother who needed the same that he received as well. Because forgiven people forgive. Verse 34, as we saw, we see this contrast. Instead of being moved with compassion, this man is now moved with anger. Instead of acting like his Lord demonstrated to him, he now extends anger to this person. Now, we need to be careful about reading too much into this parable. We're not to assume here that the Lord, our Lord, would torture people. That's not where this is going at all. Jesus is just using a story to explain a situation. Uh, So know that about this. But Jesus is now in verse 35 reminding them how important important forgiveness is to him. Like if you don't understand forgiveness that you are offering to others, it's a sign that you don't understand the forgiveness that God has offered to you. And by the way, as you just roll through the, the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about this over and over and over again. Forgiveness is a really big deal. In the Sermon on the Mount, two different times he talks about this idea of forgiving 
our debtors. Friends, do you see what Jesus is saying? We, in a sense, are the servant in this picture who owes an incalculable debt, and that is our sin. In a million lifetimes, we could not purchase back or redeem or buy back or repay what our sin has cost us. We are that figure in the story. And yet God, instead of exacting demand on what we owed Him, the payments for sin or the wages of sin, Romans tells us, is death, God chose to be forgiving. He chose to be compassionate. He chose to find a way through Jesus to forgive us. So, we should as believers, in our family meeting, if we understand the weight of the gospel and what it has done in our lives, we too are called to forgive because forgiven people forgive. That's the picture of what's being said here. Now, Some of you as you hear this are saying, okay Mike, I hear what you're saying. Um, you, you're, you're calling me to extend maybe forgiveness to someone else, right? Okay, that kid that cut in front of me in the vertigo line, or that guy that dropped a Pepsi on my lap yesterday at lunch, like I, I need to get over that, right? On the scale of one to ten, okay, the, the ones and the twos and the three levels of forgiveness, I, I can get over those, and yeah, that made me mad, but, but I can extend forgiveness. What about the eight, nines, and tens? What about the things in our lives that maybe as you hear me talking even now, things that have happened to you, people's sin in your life that has affected you so grievously, what about those issues? Are you telling me that the Gospel calls me to extend forgiveness to those type of people? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I am. And I've walked this road before. My biological father is an abusive alcoholic. Uh, my very first memories in my home or of an angry, violent father. In fact, he, when he would drink, would go from verbally angry to physically angry, to violence. My first memory in my home, my very first memory as a two-and-a-half-year-old kid, is of my father on top of my mother beating her for burning dinner. That's like first memory as a two-and-a-half-year-old. And that violence in our home didn't stop with her, it extended to me. And by the grace of God, my mother got out of that situation. But it was a horrible place to grow up. And by the grace of God, she left him. But his influence over my life stayed. Because of the legal system and the court system, I had to have, he had to have visitation rights with me. I lived with my mom and then my stepfather growing up. But I had to go see him. Every other weekend, I had to go out to his place and he would come pick me up in the car and I had to go spend a weekend with him. And I was kind of like the puppy in the corner that wanted to get played with. It was completely ignored. He didn't want us to do really anything with me. He didn't want to spend time with me. He just did it to kind of spite my mother. And I remember feeling that way. And I remember as I grew older and having some sense of what was happening in my home, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I have a loving mother at home. I have a loving now stepfather that's raising me his, his, as his own son. I don't want to see that man anymore. I don't like anything about him. And I remember one particular Saturday when he had come over to pick me up, I thought, if I lock myself in our family car, and if I take all the keys in the household to that car and lock myself in, he won't be able to take me. And that's exactly what I did. And my mom had to come in the garage and get me out of the car and coax me with him. And as I left to go in the car, my mom and my dad are on the front porch in tears watching me leave. That was my childhood. I can relate to what it feels like to have to understand extending forgiveness to a man like that. And if I'm honest with you, the gospel did not come into my life until I was 18 years old. I had no idea what forgiveness was like. And it took me an additional probably close to 20 years 
to forgive this man for what he had done in my life. I called him on the phone one day, I was probably in my upper 30s, and confronted him about this. and said, these are my memories. This is my very first memory as a child with you on top of my mother beating her. You know what he said in that moment? I don't remember that ever happening. Are you kidding me? And yet the gospel, because of the forgiveness that I have received from the Lord, calls me to forgive him. He didn't ask for it. He didn't deserve it. He never confessed. He never owned it. He never said, I'm sorry. He never said a word about it. But my position, because of the great forgiveness that I have been forgiven, is to extend forgiveness to this man. That is the home, by the way, that I grew up in. And as I talk about those things, I can see by the look on some of your faces that you identify. And some of you are wrestling with the same thing that I wrestled with for years. Am I called to do that? Am I called to release someone from the debt that they owe me? And my encouragement to you is yes. And for some of you, by the grace of God, I hope you're only talking about the one, twos, and threes. The kid that stole your bubble gum, and you've got to get over that, right? But for some of you in this room, if we're honest, you're carrying stuff in your life just like I have carried for years. And let me tell you this. Forgiveness was not so much for my father as it was for me. Forgiveness or lack of forgiveness is a prison that we willingly lock ourselves in and we remind, remain confined in there. And the anger and the hurt and the pain and the shame, they stay in there with us. What we are called to do is exactly what Jesus did in our life. To come from a place of compassion and say, that guy out there, he is broken. And so is this guy. And though his brokenness may show up differently than it does in my life, I am nonetheless broken. And Lord, I am nonetheless in need of forgiveness as he is. He just looks different than I do. And what I need to do is forgive him, let go, and release those things to the Lord. And say, Lord, you need to deal with him. But I am called to forgive him. Now as I talk about that, I want to be clear on what forgiveness is not, because this is important. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. It's not saying, hey, this horrible thing happened, and we're going to call that horrible thing good. The Bible speaks not of that. Sin is sin. Sin is horrible. God hates sin. God sent his son to this earth to die for sins. Yours, mine, my biological fathers included. All of those things. So forgiveness is not somehow calling what is evil good. Nor is it freeing the guilty from a demand for justice. In my situation, there were legal ramifications for my biological father that he needed to face. And there are consequences to our sin that we're not saying, hey, just because if I forgive you doesn't mean that you're released from those things. It's also not denying your hurt or stuffing your anger. If you have been through situations like this, to deny the fact that you're hurt or that you're angry or that you feel a certain way would be wrong. You have permission to feel those things. God's wrath was poured out on sin. He feels the same. Forgiveness is also not a feeling, and it's not conditional. It is a choice that we make despite how we feel. Nothing in me, nothing in me, wanted to extend forgiveness to my father. Nothing. Yet I am called to do that. Even when the offender doesn't ask for it, we are called to forgive. Forgiveness also is not forgetting. It's not just moving on and pretending this thing didn't happen. That is not the heart of the gospel. But it is saying that I won't hold this against them. I am releasing them to them. 
It's also not trust. It's not saying, hey, we're good now. I forgive you. We're hunky-dory. We're going to hang out. You're going to like be my dad and take me to like Chuck E. Cheese and we're going to be good. There's no relationship between my biological father and I now today. I have a stepfather who by the grace of God redeemed me. I have forgiven this man. But it doesn't mean he gets to walk back into my life and somehow everything is fine. It could, but it doesn't demand that. And it's also to that point, not reconciliation. Hurt relationships take time to heal. And friends, as you're wrestling with whatever that is for you, I want to encourage you to step out of that prison, to feel a sense of compassion for whatever situation that you may be in, to release the debt or whoever has sinned against you, whether it's a person or some circumstance or even someone that you can't name, whatever that may be, to let go of that deal and to walk in the forgiveness and the light of the gospel. Because I am convinced as believers in our family meeting. If we understand the gospel, essentially, in the chasm again between us and God, in what he has forgiven us from, we should then extend forgiveness to others. It is not easy. Jesus' words here are not hard to understand. They're just really, really hard to obey. But friends, in a sense, this is the gospel. That he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him overflowing from the forgiveness that we have received is forgiveness flowing out of us to others. I want to encourage you guys, whatever you're thinking about right now, whatever name came to your mind, whatever situation that you find yourself in, that you're, you're swallowing hard, your arms are crossed, you've crossed your legs, and you're maybe even right now giving me a posture of, you don't understand how hard this is to do what you're asking me to do. I, I don't. Your situation may be impossibly more difficult than mine, but I promise you the Lord does. And he loves you. And he is asking you because of what he has given to you to extend forgiveness to others. Would you have the courage in your so what time to put words to that? To say, here's what that looks like for me. You don't necessarily need to share all the details if they're not appropriate. But to say, this is the person that I need to forgive. And this is what I'm going to do about it. And I'm going to ask you guys as my brothers and sisters in Christ to hold me accountable, to release this person from my debt, and to walk out the gospel in a newness of life. I want to challenge you graciously as someone who loves you and cares about you to process and think about that in these next moments that we'll spend together in our so what time. Let's pray. Father, this is impossibly hard. The weight of what some of these students are feeling in this moment, these young men and women who are feeling um, God debts that have been uh, cast against them, things that have been taken from them, big or small or everywhere in between. Father, to ask us to simply let go of those, to absorb a debt, to not want to ret- retaliate in anger, to, to let go of something, Lord, that has maybe held us captive for years is so, so hard. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to, to walk out the forgiveness that we have received in you. And Father, if we haven't, we need to start there. Would you bring to our understanding what you have done through the person of Christ, the the debt that you have released us from as believers because of what we could not repay, what we did not owe or what we could not uh, earn and what we did not deserve. Father, you gave to us freely. You felt compassion and you released and forgave us. Father, would you help us to walk that out in our lives? Would you help us to be men and women that demonstrate the powerful forgiveness that we have received from the cross to others around us, we pray. In Jesus' name.